No, I love you guys. You're important to God. You're important to us. What you do changes the world, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know if we have the picture of my family. Uh, me, my wife, and my four kids, we are missionaries to Sweden. And when God called us into missions, he called us to reach atheists. To reach people who were the furthest from God, the ones who said, I reject God completely. I want nothing to do with religion or anything like that. Um, because scripture says that when we hated him, he died for us. So calling me and my family didn't seem like too big of a task for God. We poured ourselves into it. Our time in Sweden was extremely, extremely beneficial. We saw many atheists and secular people come to Jesus for the very first time. It surprised me. Uh, when God called us to missions... I did not know what we were going to do, what it looked like. I was not a missionary. Um, I, we were working as associate pastors and planning on being senior pastors. And I was floored by this change in our life, by this call. It was overwhelming. But God said, they're far from me. They've turned from me. But I remember them and I'm pursuing them. But I need you to go. So we changed. We gave up everything and we went. And I have more information if you want to know what we did. We mainly worked with university students, young adults. And uh, on my table in the back, I've got some different uh, pamphlets of information about what we did and the work that's continuing to happen. We raised up leaderships. We discipled these people who literally hated the notion of Christianity are now baptized, saved, and running the whole thing, saving more people and introducing people to Jesus every week. And it's absolutely amazing. So we're, uh, when we were called, we went there with this notion, we're going to reach the hardest to reach, the ones who would, would be uh, the most against Jesus, against Christianity. Um, but I also have some Swedish fish in case you get hungry. And it's free. You can have it. It's not from Sweden. I got it from the Amazon. Um, so caught it myself. Uh, but, yeah, we, we went over. And, and before we went over while we were itinerating last time, um, this call, this notion, God said, I remember them. Now, I was an atheist. I was 21 years old, nearly 21 years old. Never even met a Christian, completely rejected God or the notion of God. I lived in a very secular, difficult life. And as a Christian for 17 years, I pursued Jesus, the one who saved me. I wanted to know God with all of my mind. I had the heart and the strength and the passion and the zeal, but I was lacking and who God was for real inside of scripture. And as I pursued Jesus in this way, I began to see what God was 
and what I was to God. And when God called us to, to missions, this notion of God remembering, really, it baffled me. See, God is the creator of the universe, the maker of time, space, and matter. Remembering didn't really seem like a godly thing. Um, so I began to pray. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to get into the word. I'll pray real quick um, over this. And I want to talk to you about memory, about what it means for God to remember, right? This was very surprising to me. And I'm less of a preacher and more of a storyteller. So I'll walk you through the journey that I went on to discover this. So let me pray real quick. Father God, we worship you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. I lift you up and give you honor and glory and praise. I pray that all would hear so that the message might be preached fully through me. That their ears would be opened. That they could receive what you, what you have said and not what I have said. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk about memory. All you have to do, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Just raise your hand. Have you ever forgotten what you wanted to say? Who's ever done that? Have you ever walked into a room and forgotten why you went into that room? Have you ever forgotten a child at a Walmart or a nuclear power plant? Anybody? Some bad parents? All right. Go get your kids. Ah, uh, Yeah, memory, right? When I heard this, when I felt this, it was overwhelming and it was heartbreaking. But I was puzzled. I was like, God, you, clearly you don't remember like I do or like my, my dad does. Um, my grandma used to go through all of the grandkids' names before she got to mine. And along the way, she had like 36 grandkids. And... Along the way, she's like, Jason, just Scott, uh, Jeremy. And I'm like, it's Corey. She's like, no, no, I got it. It's, it's, uh, and I'm like, no, no, it's Corey. And then when she gets to it, she's like, Corey, go get me something to drink. Um, memory, if God remembered like that, that would be very frustrating, right? Um, <laughs> so I'm like, clearly that's not what, what I think it is. So, I began to pray, God, what do you mean? What does this mean? How do, I, how do I do this? So I went to Scripture because that's the first place I turn when I need answers. And as I began to read, um, I have a memory of a class in Central Bible College that I went to. It's called Biblical Theology. The, the teacher there was Terry Bleak, and his last name was a good indication of the class. Because it was the most difficult thing I've ever gone through. But the, but the class taught me a discipline. To see the whole Bible as a big story. And to know what God is, what his plan is, and what we are to God. And as I began to go through scripture, that's how I, I read it, right? From Genesis to the New Testament over and over and over again to see the big picture. That's what I was doing here. So I began to get into scripture. Our main scripture, uh, I'll give it to you if you're a note taker. It'll be 
um, sorry, Judges chapter 16, Judges chapter 16, verse 23 to 28, Judges chapter 16, verse 23 to 28, but first I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures before that, and what I want to do is, is I want to show you my process. When I got to scriptures, from the very beginning, I saw God remembering. And I'd never seen that before. I had read these scriptures so many times, but those words never stood out to me. So I go to my Logos programs. I, I call my professors, my mentors, like, hey, guys, what's going on here? What... What is this? Do you have any books on it? I Googled sermons. Nothing. I found nothing. I found no books, no sermons, no commentaries on God remembering or on these scriptures about God remembering. So one of the professors, he told me, Corey, you do the work. So that's what I did. I want to give you a couple of scriptures for the Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 is the first place I found God remembering in the, in the Bible. First place I found God remembering. I'll give you some background. It's about Noah. He's on the boat. Life is extinguished, and the, the whole world is flooded. He's there 40 days and 40 nights, and it says this. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him on the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. I saw that, and I knew, hey, this is in the Bible. What is this? Like, why isn't anyone talking about this, and what does this mean? Genesis chapter 19, verse 29. Genesis chapter 19, verse 29 is, uh, is another place, significant place that I found it. Some background about this. It's about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is having a conversation with Abraham, and Abraham says, but if there are righteous people there, would you save the city? And God says, yes. If there are as little as five righteous people there, I would save the cities and would not destroy them. And it says this in Genesis 19, verse 29. It says, so when God destroyed the cities of the plains, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities. So it was there again. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 is, a, is another very significant place that I found it. It's about Israel. The nation of Israel is in Egypt for hundreds of years at this point. And they all but forget about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're suffering. And God hasn't forgotten about them. And it says this. In, Je in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, it says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And what did he do with, with Noah? He dried up the land. What did he do with Lot? He brought him out to safety. What did he do with Israel? He brought them to the land that he had promised. And I started to see this pattern. God is, God is remembering and saving people. But what does it mean that he remembers? See, I don't worship a God made by man. I don't worship a man God. 
I worship something that is bigger than all of my problems, bigger than the entire world, bigger than the universe and everything, because that God has power and is worthy of worship. That God is good and righteous and great. That's what I worship, nothing less, right? So this was kind of troubling me. If the Bible says something three times, most scholars take note and say, okay, this is what the Bible is trying to tell us. I found God remembering 120-ish times in the Old Testament. And I thought, why hasn't anyone taken note? <laughs> so I did. So I continued on over and over and over again. I found God remembering. Then I get to a, a scripture that caused me to stop in my tracks. For weeks, this took me 11 months. For weeks, I stayed on this scripture. Judges chapter 16, verse 23 to 28. Judges 16, 23 to 28. I got to it, and it, it's not the type of story you would expect. It's about Samson. If you haven't heard this story, it's about Samson towards the end of his life. Samson was a very strong man, a Hercules-type figure. And God had used him. He was a judge over Israel. They didn't have kings. But he was a Nazarite from the day, from before he was born. His mother cried out to God and she said, give me a child. And he said, I'll give you a child, but he'll belong to me. We'll have a covenant, him and I. And he'll be a Nazarite. That means he can't cut his hair, can't touch dead things, can't drink alcohol, and a couple of other things. And he said, he will belong to me. So at this point in the story, Samson's with Delilah. He tells her, hey, you can take my strength by doing this, cutting my hair. She does that. She cuts his hair. The Philistines rush in. They capture him, gouge his eyes out, and drag him off to prison. And it says this. Let's read. The Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their God, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who has killed so many of us is now in our power. Verse 25, have drunk by now, the people demanded. Bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So when he was brought from the prison to amuse him, they had him stand between the pillars that were supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers in there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Verse 28 is what caused me to stop. It says this. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Now when I read this, this was the first time in Scripture that someone asked God to remember them. Every other time it just says, God remembered, God remembered, God remembered. But here, it changed up. Samson says, remember me. 
What was confusing about it was I just read the whole life of Samson. And at this point, what could you ask God to remember about you? Truly, if I were to come to your house, destroy everything in your house, set it on fire, and then meet you a week later and, and I'd say, hey, bud, remember me? Like we're best friends or something? You say, no, I don't want you around. I'm not going to help you out. That's kind of what I was thinking in my head. How could you ask God to remember you? See, as an adult, he spent his life disobeying God. He killed some Philistines, but his job was to be the protector of Israel. And now he's at his lowest point, and he says, remember me? I went to my commentaries, my logos, all the things that I could think of, and I found nothing. In the original language, though, I found something surprising. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, mostly. And this phrase, remember me, is zakar et, zakar et. Now that et is not the word for me. It turns out that we never really discovered an ancient Hebrew word for me. Zakar means remember, but there's no word for me. They just put a suffix there to tell the, the translator, make the most logical, it's not remember goat or remember shoe, it's remember me, right? So as I continued to pray and read as much as I could, one of my professors, he sent me something. He said, hey, Corey, I found something. In 1947, they discovered what was called the Dead Sea Scrolls. The oldest copy of the book of Judges was in that. It, was, it predated the oldest copy of what our Bibles were based off of by hundreds of years, if not thousands, they're not sure. But in their translation, in their copy, there was a different word behind zakar. And that word was makalafa. Makalafa. Zakar makalafa. And this word makalafa meant harebrained. It meant braid or hair. So Samson was saying, remember my braid. And then another way to say it is, remember my covenant. But then as I prayed and I asked God, show me what this means, something came to mind. And I think God was speaking to my heart and he said, Samson wasn't asking me to remember him. He was asking me this, remember what you intended me to be when you first created me and make me that again. Does that make sense? And what did God do? He gave him his strength back. He tore down the pillars and he exacted his revenge, but he also did something very important. Who was on the roof? Philistine rulers. Who was the protector of Israel? Samson. With Samson gone, guess what happens to Israel? Philistines destroy them. His purpose in life was to protect Israel. And he did that with one blow. God restored his strength and he tore it down, saving Israel from destruction. At this point, I was pretty much in tears. I was overwhelmed because God would 
continue to show me these images of people. And he'd say, I remember them. They're far from me. They've turned from me. And sometimes I couldn't even hold it in. And I would sit on the side of the interstate crying for hours. Because part of me, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to go to a place that I've never been to before. Plus, it's cold there. I don't want to be there either. From Louisiana. I barely made it into the front doors here. And so I continued on through scripture. And I began to get this notion of what it meant for God to remember. And then I got to the New Testament. Everyone say amen. amen. Told you, the whole Bible, right? Uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 40 to 43. When I got to the New Testament, one place, just once. Does I, do I find God remembering? Luke chapter 23, verse 40 to 43. I got to the scripture verse, and it changed so much. So I'll give you some background. Jesus is captured. He's flogged and beaten, sentenced to death, and crucified. And alongside him are two criminals crucified as well. And everyone is hurling insults at him, even one of the criminals. He says, if you're God, save yourself and save us. But you're not. And it picks up here and it says this. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? Even when we've been sentenced to die. Verse 41, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me. Now, by the time I read this, it was like six months later. And I kind of struggled all over again. I'm like, what? What could you remember about this dude? Like, who is he? Is he a Jew? No. Scripture doesn't tell us who he was, but history tells us that Jews didn't get crucified. That was what was so different about Jesus. Was he a Roman citizen? No, they didn't crucify Roman citizens. He was most likely a soldier in the Roman army. Rome would go around and they conquered these little nations and they would take most of the men and put them into their army. How could he ask this? Remember me. What does that mean? Why did Luke write that down? Luke is the author of this book. He was a physician, not a scholar. Jesus' response gives us the answer. But I did some research, right? I went to every Greek historian. I read the Iliad, the Odyssey. The Greek phrase there, remember me, most translations use the Greek words memnesco hoit, memnesco hoit. But in certain other translations of our Bible, they use a different Greek word, mehoimai hoit, mehoimai hoit. And that one is only found 
in one translation throughout the whole New Testament. And I wanted to know what that word was, why they used it, and why it would be used in other contexts. And every time I found it in Greek writings, it was someone asking God this. Remember what you intended me to be. I messed up. I ruined my life. I made horrible decisions. But you have the power to change me into something better. You had a purpose and a plan and a reason. But Jesus' response reveals that too. He says this, today you will be with me in paradise. What is paradise? It literally translates to garden. And the garden that we're thinking of is the Garden of Eden. Before we messed up, before we ruined everything, God saw us in perfection. And Jesus gives this promise. He said, I'll remember you. So if God can remember, can he forget? I'll give you some background about me. Um, there's a lot of dark places in this world, and the world is getting darker. But I was born into it. My parents were young drug addicts, and I was the youngest of four boys. And they starved us nearly to death, neglected us severely. Um, and I found out, I learned it just a couple of years ago from an older cousin of mine who lived at this time when we were young babies a few doors down from my, from my parents. Um, when I was three months old, I weighed six pounds, and they thought they had killed me. So they put me out in the front yard in the grass for the alligators or whatever else to take me away. And they left town running from the police. I don't know how much time had passed, but my 16-year-old my cousin comes around to see if they're home and finds me in the front yard. She brought me to safety. Um, I was later adopted by my aunt and my uncle, my biological mom's oldest brother. And they raised me as their own. I didn't know I was adopted until I was about nine years old. And at that point, I had a four-wheeler, so I didn't care. Um, just being honest. Uh, I was like, okay, this is awesome. You know, uh, whatever. You guys love me. I'm cool. We're good. Life is good. Um, but the parents who raised me were atheists. We were never allowed to talk about religion or God or anything like that. Not that I wanted to. I, I mean, I didn't, had no notion of it. I don't even think I met a Christian before I was 21 years old. Um, and the life was very secular. It was pursuing happiness. How many people think God wants them to be happy? That couldn't be further from the truth. God wants you to have joy. Happiness is a feeling that comes and goes. I was happy on the way over here. Then I got out of my car and I was not happy anymore. Right? Why would God want to play with us like that? It was a bit of a trick question. But, but this is our notion, right? God wants us to be happy. 
No, it's something more. It's, it's when we're not happy, when we're going through the hardest things, we have this hope and this joy that there's something more, something better, something bigger than all of it. That's what God wants. That joy is found in him, to be in him. When I was 14 years old, the mom who raised me, she had an aneurysm, dropped dead, and I was homeless. The dad who raised me was devastated, left town. So from 14 years old, I've been on my own. For about two years, I pretty much lived in the woods behind our property. About four days a week, I would sleep out there in my hammock, hunting and fishing, just to eat. I would go to school every day that I could so that I could shower and eat food. But I was exposed to horrible, bad people. Almost everyone in my family are criminals, bad guys, very organized in what they do. And at 16 years old, I decided I needed to do that so that I get off the streets, so I could stop starving to death. And that's what I did. And, and I didn't just become that. I became the worst of them. I, I had this fury and this fire, but atheism drove it. And the guy who taught me how to do all of those things, at 44, 45 years old, he became a Christian. First time I ever saw someone become a Christian. Blew me away. I was never a drug addict. I was something much worse. I tell people I would create drug addicts. I knew what it took to get people to start doing drugs because that meant money in my pocket. And unfortunately, I started with friends and family. My younger sister, 11 years old, the first time she saw drugs, I gave her some weed because her friends had a lot of money and she was going over to their house and I wanted that money. Now she's 33 years old and she overdoses regularly and all of her children have been taken away from her. Am I responsible for all that? No. But does it, did it weigh on me? I mean, as an atheist, it didn't. But as a Christian, I began to think. So I have one last memory. And if I get the band to come up, um, I don't want to run over too long. Uh, March 12, 2006. But I just want to go over this scripture real quick one more time. God remembered Samson. And he remembered the thief on the cross and so many other people. And now we have an understanding of what it means for God to remember that he doesn't see us, but he sees the perfected us that he intended us to be, right? So March 12, 2006, I went into a church for the first time um, to go and watch my cousin. He... My other cousin was like, hey, let's go watch James. I don't know if it's real or not. You know, um, he could be, it could be a woman that he's doing this for or something like that. Let's go watch him like a monkey in a zoo, you know, just kind of observe. So that's what we did. And he was standing in the aisles, raising his hands, praying, laughing. I'd never seen him do that before. I saw him shoot cops and, and beat up women but I never saw him do this before. And 
For the first time, I thought it might be possible that I could be something different in life. So the pastor, he didn't give an altar call or anything. He just said, hey, I'm going to pray and release you guys. And um, I, I never prayed before, so I didn't know how to do it. And I, um, I was listening to this guy talk to God. So I was like, okay, I'll kind of do that. And I remember standing up in the balcony and just saying, God, if you're real, this is what I want to be. I don't want to be what I am anymore. I just want to be a Christian. Could you make me that? Is that possible for me? Because he did it. And it worked, it seems. So after service, I walked down to the pastor and, and I said, hey, what do I have to do to be a Christian? And he said, Corey, it's not magic or anything. He said, but you have to believe that Jesus was a real person who died and rose again. That God rose him from the dead and you have to repent of your sins and, and make him Lord over your life. Are you willing to do that? I said, yeah. So he prayed with me, and I remember everything about it, everything about it. But, you know, non-Christian people, people outside of these doors, they have all of these assumptions and ideas of what church happens. I used to think it was a private club that I wasn't invited to. I was like, I can't go there. you got to be invited to go there, right? It was like the country club in our town. I don't have a membership, so I can't go play golf. They kick you out for that. And I had all these ideas, and I thought, you know, I'm going to pray with this guy, and I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to levitate? Am I, is my hair going to change colors? At least get a little taller, you know? And nothing weird happened. I felt better. I felt good. When I got out to my truck out in the parking lot ready to leave, I noticed something. I took a breath. I just took like the deepest breath I've ever taken in my entire life. It surprised me so much. And I began to realize that all of that guilt and shame and pain it was gone. I didn't feel it anymore. And then I began to feel and think to myself, is this what being a Christian is? Am I a Christian now? I don't feel this, all this stuff that was drowning me and weighing me down. I don't feel it anymore. Is this what it means to be a Christian, to be free from all of this? Is this how James feels every day to not be? And I, I even felt different. I felt innocent. For the first time that I can remember, I felt innocent in my entire life because I was this monster. And now I'm not. It was gone and it's been 17 years and I've never felt it again.
God reminded me of that time and he said, Corey, when I saved you, I remembered you. And now I'm making you into what I intended you to be. When I first created you, when I first thought of you, maybe there's someone here who thinks that God has forgotten them. That he's so far away, you're not important enough. That's not true. He pursues you. He comes after you. Even if you were raised in this church your entire life, he is never going to forget you. That is not how he remembers. But we have to move a little bit towards him so that he could start making us into what he intended us to be. I want people to feel this freedom that I have. That's my whole desire in life. That's why you're sending us. That's why we're missionaries. But I just want to pray over you and then I'll let you go. Uh, Pastor Josh will come up. Father God, I worship you and I thank you. I pray that you would remember this church, that it, what it was intended to be was a beacon of light in a dark place, a refuge on a hill, oh God, a place for people who are broken and hurting to run, a light, oh God, that would shine out for all. Father, I pray that you would remember it and build it into what you intended it to be. I pray for those who do not know you, who are far from you, that you would pursue them and they would pursue you, oh God. They would say, what must I do to be a Christian? I pray for relationships that have been ripped to shreds because a healthy church needs healthy people, oh God. That they wouldn't do damage for Christianity on the outside of these walls because their life is broken. I pray that you never intended for their life to be that, for those relationships to be that. So heal them, oh God. I pray for healing. I pray for finances, oh God. Remember them, Jesus. And I pray that we would remember God. We would do this in remembrance of him. Push forward and live this life to the fullest. For his glory and his purpose, I worship you and I thank you in Jesus' name.